This is The Good Life in Early Life, a production of Nebraska Extension. I'm your host, Emily Manning, an early childhood extension educator. Thank you for tuning in to the second part of the interview with Miss Miki Montgomery. We continue to discuss the need for diverse and inclusive learning environments. Our guest, Miss Miki, goes into more details about how to teach children about sensitive and complex topics while still encouraging children's participation and curiosity. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the individuals and do not represent the views of the University of Nebraska or Nebraska Extension. So basically, because of that, and because, you know, we don't have a curriculum book in front of us that says, teach this, teach this, teach this, we wait till interests arise, and then we teach around that. Sometimes when we want to bring in some knowledge about topics that they probably have no idea about, like, okay, what preschooler is going to say, hey, can we learn about Black History Month this week? I mean, there might be, but they might not even know it's Black History Month. You know, then we as lead teachers will be like, hey, did you guys know that this is the month that we celebrate Black history. And we, you know, well, what is Black history? Well, let me tell you. And I will pose questions and read books in a certain type of way just to bring awareness around Blackness. And so because I'm comfortable with the uncomfortable topic of talking about things like this, and because I love teaching early childhood and I know how the young brain works and I know how to slowly introduce a topic and let it grow with the children, I start small. And what do I start with? I start with color. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This totally kills the colorblind argument that I don't see color. I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Young children learn their colors very early on. So what's the first thing a young child can relate to? color. And then from there, we'll, we might do an activity where we're noticing the different skin tones and skin colors in the classroom, right? And so mm-hmm. I make it personable for them. You know, this child has this skin tone. This child has this skin tone. Well, look at my skin tone. And I might say, wait a minute, that's different. And I start using vocabulary words mm-hmm. that are meaningful vocabulary words that's going to play a role down the road when we get to the hard topic yeah. of what racism is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wait a minute. My skin color is different than your skin color. This is me, you know, as a teacher being like, oh, whoa, wait, is that okay? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'll purposely ask questions to see what their responses are because their responses are still very 100% authentic and genuine. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And even if a child says, no, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Let's say you have a child who maybe has already had experiences where they've taught not to accept other people for their skin colors. Am I going to get mad at them? No. Would other people get mad at them? You don't say that. Don't say that. That's not okay. Yeah, I could easily see that being a reaction from teachers. Mm -hmm. Because the teachers or the person who says, don't say that, that's not okay, was taught, you don't talk about it. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. Don't bring it up. Don't point out differences. That's rude. No, it's not rude. It's not rude. And we've got to get out of that mindset because the child is three four and five years old, and they are curious learners. Right. Okay. So the second you tell a child, don't talk about that. Don't Mm -hmm. say that. Don't say it's not okay to have different skin colors. That child immediately is going to shut down. What did I do wrong? I'm I'm not supposed to say that. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to say that again because the way I feel now, because I just got scolded for saying, yeah, it's not okay. Or yeah, that skin color is different than mine. I don't like that. Or, you know, I mean, I've had children say this before Mm -hmm. too, right? I'm not going to get mad at them for the way they think and the way they feel. 
I don't know what experiences they've had. I don't know if they've been taught to say that. I don't, it, that's, that's not something I need to sit as the educator and assume about a young child mm-hmm. that I have in front of me that's impressionable. When I could take this and I could make it into a learning experience that's a positive learning experience, regardless of what that child thinks or feels, regardless of what that parent, you know, has taught that child, mm-hmm. that five-year-old that told my son he couldn't come to his birthday party because he didn't want to make his mom puke because his mom doesn't like brown people and she literally throws up when brown people are around right? Mm-hmm. That little kid didn't hate my son. No. Mm-mm. He didn't want to make his mom sick. So if I've got that little kid in my class and I say, hey, why do you think brown people make your mom sick? Well, she told me that this and this and that, and he's going to innocently, like he's going to be sitting next to my son. He's going to be sitting next to the brown child uh-huh. with his arm around him, probably because they were <laughs> that good buddies. Well, she just told me that brown people make her sick. I don't want to make my mom sick. So he, I just don't want him to come to my birthday party. I wanted him to come to my birthday party, but, but I don't want to make my mom sick. Oh gosh. How did that make you feel? It made me feel bad though. Cause BJ's my friend and my mom's my mom. And I, ugh, it just made me feel bad. They're able to talk about their feelings. We talk about feelings in early childhood, but what I'm not going to do is make that child feel bad. If a child doesn't want to talk about it, I'm not going to make that child feel uncomfortable. Any feeling that's a negative feeling that you correlate with a topic that's a difficult topic is going to stick with that child. And then make it's going to be, explore it. make them not want to explore it, make them feel like that, you know, it, it's, it shouldn't be talked about. And that's what generation after generation after generation has had said to them as young children. Don't look at that person in that wheelchair. Mm-hmm. You know, don't look at that person over there, you know, that looks different than you. Stop staring. That's rude. Mm-hmm. Don't go up and talk to them. What are you doing? Get back over here. And so immediately there's this feeling of, okay, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's yeah. wrong. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. Right. So those feelings stick with you. You remember Remember those. Remember I said those first five years of brain development, you know, and experiences are the most impressionable years and the quickest, you know, time of growth for the brain. You don't forget that. You might not be able to put your finger on it and name the exact experience, but you remember that feeling, okay? For a young child, when they feel that, they remember that. They don't want to go back to that. Right. Okay? Yeah. They don't even know how to fully process those feelings or even put a name on that feeling yet, but they know how to feel it if they're made to feel that way. Okay? So So I got a simple question for you. Going yeah. back to the response of like when you were talking about the differences in skin and mm-hmm. saying like, is that okay that mm-hmm. mine's different? Mm-hmm. And then a child might say, no, it's not. I don't think I would know how to respond. Right. Truthfully. Yeah. What can would you be give you? me a script? What would be? <laughs> so how, how do you think you would respond? And be honest. How do you think you would respond to that? Because immediately you would probably be offended or upset that that child would say, no, it's not yeah, like, okay. Oh, yeah. Like Charlie, you, you said that? Yeah. Like, you know? no, you don't say that. You're telling, yeah. you're telling this child that he shouldn't feel. Right. You know, he shouldn't answer that and that shouldn't be his answer. Right. right? Yeah. So then I would be like, oh. So I think, I yeah. think maybe. Maybe like after my initial like, yeah. oh, yeah. that just happened. He just said that. I think I would say maybe, why not? Yeah. Or like, what makes you think that? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but you I think, think it would take yes. me a second though to get yeah. there, to be honest. Well, but, yeah, it probably would. Yeah. But that's exactly what you say, right? You're interviewing the child, okay? Yeah. You're letting that child have the spotlight and you're letting him know or her know that his responses are valid and that you're hearing his response. Whether you agree with it or not, it's yeah. not about that. Because he's five. He's four. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's going to tell you that T-Rex was at his house last night eating macaroni and cheese. 
right? right? And also tell you that, no, it's not okay that your skin is brown and my skin's a different color. Immediately, as adults, we go to the experiences that we've had that make us uncomfortable with talking about that topic. So then our reaction comes out with that same topic and with that type of response. So we project onto the child. We project our feelings about the uncomfortable topic onto the young child instead of digging deeper and going further and wanting to know why that child feels that way. So you're exactly right, Emily. You say you feel that having different skin colors is not okay. Uh-huh, it is okay. Friends are going to chime in. <laughs> yeah, it is. You shouldn't say that. So, well, hold on, friends. It's okay if he feels differently. Do you notice how I'm using the vocabulary? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's okay if he feels differently. That's intentional because he's showing a different opinion, a different view. It still matches in that word different. Right. All right. I'm showing that I'm accepting the different way that he thinks. I'm role modeling what it looks like to speak to somebody who said something that feels offensive or feels wrong, but it, he still he still has the right to feel different, okay? And so I'm purposely going to be like, you feel differently about that. You feel different than Sarah feels about it. Sarah says it's okay to have different skin colors. You're saying it's not okay. Tell me more. Why do you feel that way? And then allow the child to say what he has to say. It's probably going to be something, you know, really innocent. Yeah. And oftentimes <laughs> it is because mm-hmm. we as adult think it's something else is going to come out that's really inappropriate or offensive. Right. And, and it might not even be that. It might not even yeah. be that, but we <laughs> go there. As adults, we go there because we are taught that that's not okay. We were brought up to believe it's not okay to talk about differences, talk about different skin colors, compare different skin colors. We've got all these fears that are sitting with us from our experiences. We assume assume this child's going to say something that's not okay. So then what if the child does say something? Well, my dad said that brown people and black people, blah, 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 and that white people, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What do we do? What do we do? Yeah. What do you think? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, I think that's hard because that's what the family has taught them. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's the family values. Mm -hmm. And you need to, I mean, you kind of need to accept it. Yeah. You do need to accept it. Yeah. Because he's not going to know. Right. He's not going to know what you know as an adult. And what happens if you say something in a certain tone or in a certain way to make him feel bad about his mom and dad? It is going to make him become so recluse that he's not going to want to participate in the conversation anymore. He might sink back in his chair, sit on the rug and be like, wait a minute, but my mom and dad love me. So as an educator, you have to check yourself. <laughs> you, you have to learn how to check yourself. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and guess what? You're not going to get it right the first time. But if you're aware that you made a comment or you said something or you shut that child down and you yeah. made that child feel a certain type of way, just don't do it next time, you yeah. know, and humble yourself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like adults think we have to be perfect in the front of the eyes of a child. We don't. That is so not true. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. You had something you wanted to say and it's okay for you to think differently. It's Mm -hmm. okay for you to think differently. I was worried that you were going to say something to hurt somebody's feelings. I was worried that Tommy over here who has brown skin, I was worried that Tommy was going to be sad. Tommy, are you sad? No. Tommy has no idea what's going (laughs) on. And maybe he does, but let's just say, that's what I mean by we project ourselves onto the thoughts of young children because they haven't had those in-depth experiences yet to 
think the way that we think as adults. But if we react in a way where we make them feel like that their responses are wrong, you know, you are shutting down the option to have conversations and talk about race. You are shutting down the options to even get to where we can show them in a positive light how beautiful it is to accept differences. Instead of right then and there, the first conversation being like, you're wrong for pointing out that, you know, that difference is not good. Yeah, because within that conversation, you're modeling right from the get-go mm-hmm. that you're going to accept differences, mm-hmm. yep. differences of opinion, yeah. different differences of all kinds. Yep. And that's what, it sounds like that's the base you start from. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to agree with the child. Yeah. I, I can have a conversation with an adult. I don't have to agree with the adult yeah. because that adult does not know what it's like to live in the skin I'm in. Right. Yeah. But I also don't know what it's like to live in their skin. True. So talking about some of those topics are deep. Mm-hmm. They're heavy. Mm. Do you explore some of those oh, yeah. with children? You do. I do. I yeah. do. I feel comfortable doing that. Uh-huh. It, I love it. So we had the Buffett Institute here a couple semesters ago, and they were doing a study, a research study on how to talk about topics like this in early childhood. Yeah. And two of my other coworkers did it with me. And, you know, it wasn't just about the topic about race. It was it was about just equity and inclusion and diversity, period. And so, you know, as we know, equity, inclusion, diversity, a lot of people go to skin color and race and think about that first but we're talking about, you know, neurodiversity. We're talking about behaviors. We're talking about all types of holidays and traditions that are celebrated in all types of cultures. But for me, I stick with what I am familiar with and what I feel like most people are uncomfortable talking about. And it's usually Black history and race Mm -hmm. and, you know, accepting differences. Yeah. I always start with what children already know and what is simple. And then I expand because their brains are sponges. They know how to learn. Don't assume a child cannot understand mm-hmm. a lesson. The more you use it in context, in context, and the more you use it in their experiences, the more they understand it. So you take what your classroom of children already know about a topic and you expand on that topic. And I choose to expand it into those, you know, challenging conversations. I have books in my library. Every, every teacher has teacher books, special books, right? Yeah. And I buy books that the children have never read before that probably that they don't have at home, you know, and we have discussions about them in our class. We talk, we might not get through the whole book because we come to a page where they're like, wait, what? <laughs> they know what fair and unfair is. Mm-hmm. They know that you turn that. This is not fair. This is fair. You turn that into the word justice. Ah. They're going to they're going to get that. They're going to, it's going to stick with them. That's what fair and unfair is. Yeah. Justice and injustice. Right. So what do the children already know at a very innocent, simple level? They know the difference. Well, they know what, what different means because they're taught comparison. So you, you, you bring in these words, you bring in what they already know, what they're already familiar with, and you pair it with a term that is probably a term that adults going to be like, oh, don't use that term with that child. They're not going to know that. Well, they're not going to know that if, unless they're introduced to it. Right. They're not going to know that unless they're made aware of it. They're not going to know that unless after they're introduced to it and made aware of it, it's used in context. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they'll know. And then I also will send emails to parents and say, hey, we had a conversation today that was a hard conversation. And I want to tell you how it went. And I want to, I want to share with you some things that the kids might be saying when they come home tonight. And I make parents aware of, you might hear this term. This is how I explain this term. This is why it's important for us to talk about this in the class. 
class. This happened the other day when so-and-so made fun of the other person's skin color. This happened the other day when a child made fun of somebody's hijab. And, and I put it in context for them that when these things arise, we talk about it. Yeah. We bring it up and we talk about it. And we talk about it in a developmentally appropriate way, but then we continue to revisit it. You don't just make it a one-time lesson. We'll go back and we'll say, you remember when we talked about this? Because kids learn by repetition. So you can't just assume that one book, reading it one time is going to be enough for them to really understand mm-hmm. anything, you know? Yeah. But then it's wonderful because then it comes up in conversation. Oh, teacher Mickey, remember when we talked? And remember when so-and-so said it wasn't okay to have a different skin color? You remember that? I told my mom that. My mom said this and blah, blah, blah. And it starts conversations at home. And then that makes it even more meaningful and impactful to the young child, right? Now, if a parent's unhappy about it, I will say, please come speak with me if you need to, if you would like to learn more, if you have any further questions about this topic. But then also my leader, the director makes it very clear, you know, at this school, we will have these conversations. This is important for what we feel like is the future of child development. And I have not always worked in places like that. I was going to say, not everywhere is going to have that level of support. Nope. No, because you'll have people that shut it down and say, you don't talk about that. I don't want to start that with parents. I don't want to upset right. people. Yeah. I don't want to. No, this isn't inappropriate because of the way they feel and their biases and how it will shut down, you know, important conversations that need to be had. I, I am where I know I'm received for what I have to bring yeah. to the educational world. Yeah. University of Lincoln, I love you. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I, really, I really do. Good. College of Education and Human Sciences, I love you. Child Youth yeah. and Family Studies Department, I love you. I wouldn't be here. I've had to go through some obstacles to realize that here I can be my authentic educator self. Some obstacles that I never thought would have been an obstacle <laughs> in some situations. Uh-huh. I wouldn't be able to be here having this conversation with you and being interviewed on this podcast and being authentic about, you know, how I teach this in an early childhood classroom, which is why I know I'm right where I'm supposed to be right now. But it helps to have leaders who support you. And what I've found out, I guess what I can say is that it doesn't matter (laughs) in my situation. It doesn't matter what color that leader is. I have had leaders of color that I thought would be way more supportive because we can relate on a whole nother level of being people of color. And that was not the case. And then I have a leader now who wants so badly the same things that I want when it comes to social justice, wants so badly. And we have conversations about things that, you know, she doesn't understand, but wants to understand and wants so badly for young children to understand because she knows that they're Mm going to grow up with the experiences that they've had with me, the lessons that they've had with me, right? The representation they have with me as a woman of color in the classroom, positive experiences, positive conversations, meaningful relationships, and that's going to help them in their future Mm -hmm. look through a different lens. Yeah. Because me and her, everybody here that works here, we are all on the same page when it comes to the importance of early childhood experiences and what they're going to walk away with. And I love being that that part here. And I think that anybody can walk into this building or walk into the outdoor classroom and they can pick up on that immediately, Mm. like that culture. Yeah. Well, there's one topic that we haven't discussed yet that I think is both that is important to both of us to get to. And that's what does equity 
mean and look like in the early childhood environment. I have yet to see that because of the cold hard facts of oppression still happening to a degree that you cannot have an equitable early childhood classroom until you have people of all types of differences in every single classroom. To me, This might be different for somebody else as far as what they would define equity in an early care environment. But to me, a mixture of socioeconomic backgrounds, a mixture of ethnicities, a mixture of cultures, a mixture of privileged white young children, underprivileged white young children, privileged black young children, underprivileged black young children, children from different cultural traditional backgrounds coming all together. Like you see those clip art of the globe and then all around the globe, you see all these different, you know, ethnicities of children, you know, to me, that looks like an equitable classroom. Got it. I'd be curious to know what other early childhood educators would say to answer that question, because I think so deeply about how I don't know how you could truly make an equitable classroom without having everybody from so many different backgrounds, families with children from so many different backgrounds in the same class so that we could really learn from each other and the differences of our experiences. Because you can only really honestly learn equity when you know the reality of somebody else's culture, somebody else's upbringing, somebody else's experience. Now, If we were just talking about here in Nebraska, Mm -hmm. what does equity look like in the early care environment? It would be kind of the same. So I kind of just kind of gave a global answer. It would be the same for the community. You can't just have the elite over here getting all the brand new resources, all the best equipment, brand new building, you know, safe area, and then... This group of preschoolers over here in a rundown, broken down building that's falling apart with nothing but plastic toys bought from garage sales and educators or teachers or providers who haven't been taught how to truly help children develop at an early age. There's such there's such a gap. Yeah, there really is. There's such a gap. Can be. Yeah, because can be. we haven't even talked about affordability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we have it because because money determines gives, where what your options are. Yeah. What your choices are. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your questions, but I, I don't know. I feel like that's not an easy answer. Cause no, I, it's not an easy answer because we haven't seen it yet, right? No, we yeah, haven't. We're working towards yeah, that. And yeah. how do you answer a question when we don't Yeah, let's just keep working that towards that. Let's keep yeah. working towards that. But we can't be afraid to mix. We can't be afraid to mix right. with people that we're uncomfortable with, with socioeconomic backgrounds, differences, cultures that we're uncomfortable with or mm-hmm. we're told to be uncomfortable with. You know, And really, ultimately, that'll be up to the parents. So What are they comfortable with and mm-hmm. what are they willing to child no so no child won't know any different you know they'll be they'll have a great experience you know being able to work with play with sit at the same table and eat with you know children who are different than them Mm -hmm. oh the lessons I could come up with (laughs) oh the conversations (laughs) I would be able to have you know the differences we would be able to point out and celebrate the conflict resolutions that we would have from families from very you know two three four five six very different backgrounds I would love the opportunity to be able to do that someday. I would love for that for you too. Yeah. 
and and for our pre-service teachers yeah. to be able to experience themselves. You know, there's a teaching crisis right now, and a lot of it has to do with because post-pandemic, the behaviors of children, you know, and a lot of our poverty-stricken communities, the attitude from the parents and that, you know, trickles down to the children. And, you know, it's been really difficult for our teachers right now. Very difficult. Um, what if we gave them the skills that they could have to be able to manage their classrooms by experiencing some of these cultures and some of the children who struggle to know what it's like to succeed in an environment. In a classroom environment. In a classroom environment where there's opportunity to not be shut down for who you are, to be fully accepted for who you are, and then to be able to grow from that, to feel safe, to feel like you belong, to feel accepted, and to not fear being who you are, to not get in trouble for being just who you are, Mm -hmm. but to have people who are qualified to help shape who you are into somebody, you know, that you can love, learning, teaching you to love yourself, you know, what if we could do all of that before age five and then send them out there? Send them on to kindergarten and first grade oh, and, you know the, what I mean? Into the public schools. Yeah, because we, 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 you know, after after early childhood, they, they, they move on, whether it's public school or, you know, whatever. I mean, again, that first five years. Sets them up for the rest of their life. That's how I feel. Yeah, I fully agree with that. But I mean, that's why we're in this profession, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. So we're are at our final time for the podcast. Any last parting words or anything that you want to impart to our listeners before we end our show? First of all, these are all, everything that I've shared with you is my personal feelings, opinions, experiences that have shaped my thought process on what I feel like should be something that's addressed in early childhood. But on that note, I encourage not just teachers, but parents to do the work that it takes to visit your childhood, to visit your upbringing, to visit your ideas, your thoughts on what you think race is, what you think racism is, why you think that way, and what you would be willing to learn more of so that you could have comfortable conversations or at least meaningful conversations or just start somewhere with any type of conversation to bring this up with children, young children, elementary school children, middle school children. There are so many resources out there now on how to have these conversations. And the first step, I think, is talk about it. Find people that you feel safe talking about it with, you know, because then that's the other thing. You got to find somebody that's not going to shut you down and make you feel bad for talking about it, for wanting to know more, for asking questions. Find a safe person, find a safe place. And then if you haven't found that safe person, that safe place, keep searching. There's more of us out there that want to help educate and not get mad at people that want to learn more. Yeah. It's not necessarily to change the way you think. Mm-hmm. And if it does, okay. But at least you have a balanced view of things instead of just your view. Yeah. Right. There are lots of identities in this world that I cannot identify with. You know, there are lots of ways of life in this world that I may not agree with because I don't understand it and it makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Okay. But because I've lived in my position, I'm willing to listen to somebody else tell me about their position and and, and at least accept that for them. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be them. I don't have to change my lifestyle to be like them, but I can be okay that this is, this is your, this is your truth. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this conversation (laughs) and this time. I've really enjoyed it. And 
I would look forward to having another conversation with you. Sure. This topic is so important. Yeah. Yep. And the more we talk about it and the more we yes, learn. The easier it gets, right? The easier it gets. Yeah. Yep. Thank Thanks you. again. Thank you, Emily, so much. I appreciate it. This interview with Miss Miki Montgomery is available in its entirety without any edits beyond basic sound quality improvements on UNL's Media Hub. The link to the full-length interview is in the show notes. This ensures our guest's narrative remains unaltered and our team's perspective doesn't unintentionally influence it. Before we completely end the episode, I want to share this clip of a Nebraska youngster explaining the job of a teacher. What are the teachers like here? Every teacher does something different. They have different names and they do different jobs. Um, take care of kids and work when we're napping. It's always interesting to me to find out how children perceive our roles. And with that, this has been another episode of The Good Life in Early Life, a Nebraska Extension Early Childhood production with your host, Emily Manning. For more information on early childhood, check out our website at child.unl.edu. If you like the show, subscribe and tell your friends to listen. The show production team is Emily Manning, Dr. Holly Hatton, Aaron Campbell, Ingrid Lindahl, Linda Reddish, Kim Wellsant, LaDonna Worth, and Katie Krause. This episode has been reviewed by our team and most importantly, the guest. See you next time and thanks for listening. Bye-bye.